Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. So we're talking about the fight of faith. This is lesson two. A quick review. We talked about last week how faith is a spiritual law that operates under spiritual conditions just like natural laws do. And we use the law of aerodynamics that is thrust and lift that rises up above the law of gravity. And we have the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that raises us up above the law of sin and death that was set in motion by Adam and Eve when they fell in the garden. Then we said that faith is a fight that is fought with words, not carnal weapons, but with words. And if you recall, when Goliath stood before David, he spoke out words of faith, but his faith was in his own strength, his own stature, his own ability, his own size, his own weaponry. That's what his faith was in. But then David spoke out words of faith, but his faith was not in his strength. His faith was in his God, his size, his strength, his ability, his power, his weapons, the name of the Lord of hosts, he said. And so he spoke faith in his God while Goliath spoke faith in himself. Big difference. Then we said the ten spies that went out to spy the land, Canaan's land, they died by the plague before the Lord because they spoke out words against God's word. And what they said, what they spoke out, God said, that's what I will do to you. And the plague that they died by ate out, worms ate out their navel, jaws, and tongues, which the Jews believed was a righteous retribution because they used their unbelief to infect the others, all the other people. God wasn't happy with them and they died by judgment. But then we said Joshua and Caleb, they spoke in line with the word of God. They believed that God would do what he said he would do. And so they spoke in line with that. And what happened was they entered the promised land, Canaan's land. And then we talked about how by faith we resist three forces that are against us and try to deter us from finishing our course on earth. Number one, we speak faith against the devil. Resist him with your faith, we're told. Number two, the world is overcome by our faith. And number three, the flesh. Paul said, the life I live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so those three forces are overcome by our faith. With words of faith that we speak to stand against them. As we continue our study, look at Hebrews 13. We're going to look at King James and also the Amplified, the classic Amplified version of it. But let's start with the King James. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For, now notice these next words, he hath said. Everybody say, he hath said. Well, he hath said, that's God speaking, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say. Say what? The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Notice what he hath said, we are to boldly say. So what we say must be rooted and grounded in what God has already said. If you go back to the very beginning, remember what the devil said to Eve? Hath God said? She should have said, yeah. God hath said. And I'm boldly saying to you, get out of my garden. 
That's what she should have said. But she didn't. So what he hath said, we are to boldly say. Our faith is to be rooted and grounded in what God said. God didn't say it, then we don't have a basis for faith. Now, look at the Amplified Version. Because I like the way he says this in the latter part of the verse in particular. Let your character or moral disposition be free from the love of money, including greed, avarice, lust, craving for earthly possessions, and be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. For God himself had said, now notice this, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree. I like that, don't you? Leave you helpless, nor forsake you, or, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. So we take comfort and encouraged, and confidently and boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to me? I like that I will not. I will not. I will not in any way, shape, form, or fashion let you down, leave you go. Don't you just love that? So that we may boldly say that. The Lord's my helper. Who's your helper through life? The Lord's my helper. Well, between every promise that God makes and the fulfillment of that promise, there is a wilderness in between. And the way we act in the wilderness will determine whether or not we experience the promise. We all would love to experience the promise, wouldn't we? But it's dependent upon how we act in the wilderness. So once God makes a promise, it's not always instantly fulfilled. It can and will be fulfilled depending on what we do during this time when we're challenged by the devil, the world, and the flesh. So with that in mind, Look at Numbers chapter 14, because the Israelites were given a promise to enter into Canaan's land, which is the promised land. The promise was made on the heels of them coming out of Egypt and witnessing 10 miraculous signs and wonders. Remember all those 10 events that took place in Egypt? And they were brought out at, after the death of the firstborn. And then as they went through the, through the wilderness, as they began their journey... What else did they see? 4,500 tons of manna coming down every day. 11 million, million gallons of water coming out of a rock every day. Provision and so on. Protection. A cloud by day, a fire by night. Heat and air conditioning for them along the way in their journey. Angels, angelic hosts surrounding them to keep them protected from the enemy. They witnessed all that, didn't they? They sure did. They have no reason to doubt God because of what they saw. And experienced. But notice these words. And the Lord said. I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live. All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory. And my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness. And have tempted me now these ten times. And have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear or promised unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. And then go on down to verses 27 and 28. How long 
shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings. Notice, I've heard what they're talking about. Of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Wow. Well, I have a list of the ten things they did. You know I would. Okay, so let's quickly go over this list because after seeing all those miracle signs and wonders, they could still talk like this. Look at Exodus 14, 10 through 12. And when Pharaoh drew now the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid and the children, their children of Israel cried out unto the Lord and they said, and they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt Thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt saying. Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Guess who heard them say that. Not just Moses. God did. God did. It would be better to go back into Egypt and serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to stay in the world, in other words, and serve the world. I've heard Christians say that. I never had all these problems until I became a Christian. And I've got all this going on in my life. Watch what you say. Look at the next one. You hear what they said? Look at the next one, Exodus 15. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. They were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah, which means bitter. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? They just saw the Red Sea part. They saw the miraculous hand of God bring them out of Egypt. They saw what God can do. But now, what are we going to drink? We're going to die out here of thirst. That was their second complaint. They complained about having nothing to drink. Number three, 16, chapter 16. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Did you read somewhere where Jesus kind of said, don't be concerned about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, because your father knows you have need of all these things? So they complained about having uh, come out, and they would rather serve the Egyptians. They complained about no water. They complained about no food. Look at the next one, verses 19 and 20. Moses said, let no man leave of it until the morning. This was their manna. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left it until the morning, and it bred 
worms and stank. And Moses was wroth with them. Can you imagine what that conversation was like? We know that God told us just to eat it all because enough for the day is enough. And tomorrow he'll be faithful enough to give us some more manna on the next day. So let's, let's do what he said. But no, let's not do what he said because, you know, he might not give us our bread tomorrow. And then the kids will be hungry. We better save a little bit for tomorrow. God's listening to all this conversation going on. So let's, maybe God won't see it if we hide it over here in a closet or cupboard. Somewhere like that. You know, we do that. Right? And they went to get it and said the next morning, oh, let's go get that morsel of bread that we saved. And the bread worms. So, once again, they acted out in disobedience, not hearkening to what God said for them to do. Look at the next one. Number five, Exodus 16, 27, came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for together, for to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days, abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day, so the people rested on the seventh day. Now, think about this one. They gathered double on Friday knowing that they were told don't gather on the Sabbath, Saturday. So what did they do? They had all the Friday, all the Saturday's food on Friday. They pigged out on Friday thinking, well, let's go find some more on Saturday. You can only imagine what they were talking about, that God heard what they were talking about. Man, I'm really, really hungry today, so let's eat a little bit more. Instead of having it in proportions and setting them aside the way they should have, they probably just ate as much as they wanted. Then they started to realize we better do what God said to do because, you know, it's not working out for us. So once again, how did he tempt them these ten times? That's number five. Look at number six, chapter 17. They complained once again about having no water. And the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, once again, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted for, there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord saying, what shall I do unto this people? They're almost ready to stone me. Did you ever feel that way? Man, they want to stone me. What am I? Who am I? Didn't he just provide water for them at Marah when they threw the tree into the water and the bitter waters became sweet? Well, if you read on from there, right on down, that's where he struck the rock and 11 million gallons of water came out every day to satisfy their thirst needs. So God satisfied their needs. But notice every time they complained and they complained and they complained about the water, about the food, about it's too hot, it's too cold. It's everything they complained about, everything that they were going through, and God heard them. And it continues on. Look at uh, number seven is Exodus 32. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, 
up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what he is, it was become of him. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them out of, at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. After that, he had made a molten calf. And they said, they said, they said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Can you imagine God hearing them say that these are the gods that brought us up out of the land of Egypt God heard him and he wasn't happy number eight again they murmur and complain look in the book of numbers and when the people complained it displeased the Lord and the Lord heard it and his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp and the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. So once again, murmuring, complaining, murmuring, complaining about everything that they were going through. Look at the next one. Number nine, they complained about God's cooking. Mm -hmm. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. I took liberty to write down a few words that other translations use about this manna that they called light. And they said, we loathe this light manna. In Numbers, we loathe this awful manna, this horrible manna, this miserable manna, this wretched manna, this contemptible manna, this worthless manna, this insipid manna that has no flavor. We loathe it. Uh, who made it? Uh, God did. I'd watch what I would say about that. It's one thing you say someone you don't like someone else's cooking, but when you say you don't like God's, in summary, well, well, look, no, look, number ten, Numbers fourteen. Here they complain about being delivered from their bondage in, of slavery in Egypt, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and they wept that night, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them. Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and our children should be a prey, were it not better for us to return into Egypt? This is their life story. This is their trek, their journey. The promise was the promised land that flows with milk and honey. Now listen to, as God described it, I will send an angel before you. He will drive out all the ites, Canaanites, Amorites, and so on, all the ites of the land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. The grapes are so big, they're amazing. All the food that's there. I'm going to give you cities. I'm going to give you houses you didn't build. I'm going to give you olive gardens you didn't plant. I'm going to give you wells you didn't dig. 
I'm going to take sickness and disease away from the midst of you, and the number of your days will I fulfill in the land of promise. So, in other words, I will go before you, and I will defend you. I will fight for you, and see to it that you get into that promised land. And all the way there, what are they ex demonstrating? Unbelief. There are two kinds of unbelief. Number one is a lack of knowledge when you don't know what God said. And that's understandable. But number two is unpersuadableness when you're not persuaded to act upon what God said out of fear. How many of you know walled cities and giants did not keep them out of the promised land? Unbelief did. They did not side with what God said. They did not say what God said. God said, I will deliver them into your hands. They said, we're not able. They're too big, the giants and the walled cities. They didn't say what God said. They said what they believed based on what they saw. And so therefore, they were denied entrance into the promised land. And Exodus chapter 14, 12 to 14, kind of summarizes the whole thing for them. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness? Moses said to the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which we will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. That was a polite way to say, Stop talking and say what God said. Joshua and Caleb said what God said. But all those other ten spies, they said what they saw. They had faith in walled cities. They had faith in giants. But Joshua and Caleb had faith in their God. Those were the Israelites. This next section is called the Anzavinos. That okay with you? <laughs> Look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. I shared a little bit with you last week about this, and I just really was impressed because there are many that have come that don't really know much of Andrew's story. But this is the man named Jairus. He approached Jesus, said his daughter was dying, and then Jesus said, I will come, and he was going to pray for him and, and bring healing. Or his, his daughter, I believe it was. And notice, he is interrupted in that procession by this woman with the issue of blood who touches his garment and is healed. And as this procession is going on, someone comes and says to Jesus, says to Jairus, she died. She's dead. While yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, thy daughter is dead. Why trouble us the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, let that sink into our ears. The moment he heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. I said earlier that our faith must be based on something that God said. God had said that you may boldly say, and when we share this testimony, I don't ever want to share the testimony without, first of all, starting at the beginning of the testimony. And that's the birthing room when Andrew was born. Because there were many things spoken about Andrew's life, dictating to us, naturally speaking, he cannot live.
But in the birthing room, when my wife said, he's blue, why is my baby blue? And the doctor had no answer. And they tried to clear his passages so that he can get some oxygen to no avail. In my spirit, I heard these words in a very profound, more authoritative way. The only way you can describe that is to say that it was a stronger authoritative voice in my spirit. It wasn't audible out here, but it was in here rising up saying to me basically those words, but they were placed this way. Fear not, only believe. So I'm standing there in the birthing room. My wife had just given birth. Andrew's born blue, and now panic is, is breaking out. They're going to take him into the nursery there where they're going to call our pediatrician to come down and look at him. And I stood there with those words, fear not, only believe. You know you're in for a battle when you hear those words, fear not, only believe. And those two words, only believe. You have no idea how many times those words were our foundation for faith when we think about all that Andrew went through in the first 10 months of his life. So, those words became our battle axe, so to speak, as far as his life was concerned. So when God says something, our faith is to be in what God said. So when the doctor came, well, actually when we went to Children's Hospital, and the initial statement that we heard was, he doesn't have a left pulmonary artery. Now, the West Penn doctor that came down, he flew down in a helicopter, life flight, from West Penn to Beaver. And he thought it was a transposition of the major arteries. And he said, this is not a big concern. You know, for as far as they were concerned, they can just surgically take care of that. But when we got to Children's Hospital, by the time she got to Children's Hospital, the doctors were telling us he doesn't have a left pulmonary artery. So, he was going to win for a catheterization. When he went in for the catheterization, we, according to Mark eleven twenty four, asked God to give him a left pulmonary artery, and we started thanking Lord for the Lord for a left pulmonary artery. So, based on fear, not only believe, only believe. We knew our part was to believe; their part was just to do what they could do, medically speaking. So, when they came out after the catheterization, and these two head cardiologists told us that we've got good and bad news for you. Andrew's still alive, but he needs surgery and he can't live. We could bring him, let him die in your arms, or we could take him into surgery and let him die there. Take your pick. And my response was, you do what you have to do. We believe. You want to talk about feelings, emotions, fear gathering around us? So, they went on to say, but we lost him twice during the catheterization, which would come into play sometime later for us. But at that moment, he's still alive. Well, from no left pulmonary artery, here's what we hear from the doctors. And by the way, from the catheterization, there's a left pulmonary artery that's nothing bigger than the tip of a sharpened pencil. It needs to be as big as the eraser side of the pencil. No blood can possibly get in it so don't even get your hopes up. Well, for us, no left pulmonary artery to a thread pulmonary artery is a creative miracle. We asked God to give him one. So from that point on, we believed 
Our part was to do what? Believe. Believe what? Just believe. He said, fear not, only believe. And fear was around every corner. Because this is the beginning of the fight of faith that we're talking about. And so, uh, my wife can sing. I don't sing. She made up a left pulmonary artery song. And she sang to the left pulmonary artery that they said wasn't there, but now is a thread every day, all day. I said, in faith, I believe he has a left pulmonary artery that's open and growing. And we did this for nine months. But along with that, there was this. We were faced with the fact that he had a staph infection when he was about two weeks old in the heart. Then a Broviac line infection. Now remember, he doesn't have an immune system. They told us his immune system was like someone with AIDS. Can't fight off anything. He got a Broviac line infection. He got the chickenpox infection at four months. And he got a rotavirus infection in nine months. So in the first nine months of his life without an immune system, beginning with no left pulmonary artery, we believe. The staph infection, we believe. Do what you have to, we believe. And there's so much detail. You could get the book. It's in the book. So much detail. But it, with every statement that was made on their part, uh, the one that came in and said he can't sw suck, swallow, or breathe. He's not going to be able to, to drink or eat. He'll be on a feeding tube and that sort of thing. And when he, she left the room, you know, we would sit there. Krista would say, we believe. That's what she said, but we believe he will. My son will. He will. Why? Because we believe. Our part was to believe. Their part was just to do whatever they could do to help along the way. And so we would do that. We would believe. Now, before I finish this, look at the, some of these verses of Scripture uh, that will help us better understand how to develop the kind of faith that is necessary for us to overcome a lot of life's challenges and difficulties. In the book of Numbers, chapter 23 and verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. So hath God said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? That's a question. Those questions that need to be answered. If God said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. And so you said, fear not, only believe. So Lord, I'm tempted to fear beyond measure. But we believe. We believe. We believe you're at work. We believe you're intervening in Andrew's life. We believe when we heard the staph infection, Lord, we believe. When we heard the Broviac line, we believe. When we heard the chicken pock infection, we believe. We believe. We believe that you are greater than that situation. Look at the next one, Psalm 89, 34. It says, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. This is God's position on his spoken word or his written word. And if God says, fear not only believe, then where's your faith? It's based on we believe. You said for us to believe, and so we believe. So we believe that. The next one is Mark eleven twenty four. What things? Remember, remember, laws. There are conditions. Faith is a law based on certain conditions that have to be met. Here it is. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, believe that someday in a distant future you're going to get them. No, believe that you receive them when you pray, and you shall have them. And I like to say it this way. You believe you receive it in its invisible form, and it will materialize in its visible form. But you've got to believe you receive it in its invisible form first. You've got to say, I see it right now. I see it. I asked for it. I believe I have it. I see it right now. I believe. That's what you're believing. So we ask for the artery. We, we believe to receive the artery, and we thank God for the artery, and acted like the artery was there, and it was open, and it was growing. And this was every day for nine months. 
Look at James chapter 1 because this is how the condition cannot be met. Aerodynamic laws. If the aerodynamic laws start, stop working, what happens to the airplane? It comes down. But long as it's in operation and functioning, then it stays up. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, notice there's nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive what? Anything of the Lord, because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Well, I was prayed for and I thought that he did it, but I guess he didn't. That's wavering. That's not obeying the laws of faith. I may not see it. I may not hear it. I may not feel it. I don't even have the, the, they say, the witness of a doctor that says, yes, it's okay. It doesn't matter. We've got to believe we've received it in its invisible form. And thank God that we have it in its invisible form. Then it will materialize in its visible form. And that is the law of faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. While we look not at things that are seen, but things that are not seen. The things that are seen are subject to change, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And they're not subject to change. So that's the law of faith. We've got to keep on focusing our eyes on the things that are not seen. We may not see it, but we believe, Lord. We believe. Look at the next one, Daniel chapter 10. And here's why we've got to hold fast our confession of faith. This is when Gabriel came and, and talked to Daniel. And behold, a hand touched me which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto you and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he to me, Fear not, Daniel. Isn't something how God always wants to tell us not to be afraid? Fear not, Daniel. From the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, Notice the first day. And to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard. Wow. He hears. He's listening to our words, isn't he? But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief priests came to help me. And I remained there in the king, with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. What a scenario. He was bringing the answer the first day, but he was interfered with and contested by demon forces and powers. Michael came along to help him to let him get free. Then he goes and he tells Daniel, 21 days ago when you first spoke out, I was dispatched from heaven and I came to answer your prayer. You see why we got to hold fast and keep on speaking the truth of God's word until it is materialized in the natural world because it will be challenged and contested along the way. We can't give up. 1 John 5, 14, 15. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us, notice, if we know that he hears us, then we, whatever we ask, then we know that we have the petition we desire of him. So if we ask according to his will, we know he hears us. And how do we know it's his will? Because it's his will to give life and not death. So we know he heard us about the artery. And we know it's his will about the artery. Because he gives life, not death. And so we believe that we've received it. And we know that we have it. And we know that he heard us. How important it is to know that he heard you when you said what you said. Lord, I said you're supplying my need. I believe I receive healing for my body. Or whatever the need might be. Okay? 
And then, this is so important. Look at these verses in John eleven forty. Jesus teaches us how to operate in this realm of faith. When Lazarus, their friend, was dying, Jesus said these words. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified thereby. That's what he said. Four days later, this happens. Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. Didn't Jesus say this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God? He did, didn't he? But he died. Did Jesus lie? He knows all things. What was he doing? Expressing his faith. He was setting out words in spiritual law and emotion, making a declaration of his faith, even though the man died. Look how powerful words are. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast what? What did he hear him say? This sickness is not unto death. You know, the same God that heard two doctors say he can't live, heard us say we believe. Think about that. He doesn't have an artery. We asked God to give him one and he heard us. What we say should trump what anybody else says. Because if what we say is based on what God said, it doesn't matter how big Goliath is, how fortified the walls are. Can you see that? Or whatever the professionals say. If what we say is based on what God said, God will watch over his word to make it good. And I knew that thou hearest me always. Remember it says in John, we must know that he heard us. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he was dead, came bound in his grave clothes. You know why he kept them bound in his grave clothes? To make sure they didn't think it was an imposter. There he was. Now loose him. And let him go free. So when they told us he can't live. We could have believed that. But we didn't say that. You know what they said to us? You people are different. You people are different. Most people would come unglued. But they said but we'll do it. But if you want to see him you better run out there right now. Because he's coming around there's a little incubator. And they got to take him into surgery and all that. And the long story short. But you could read the book for that. As we for nine months said, and she sang, about his left pulmonary artery. When he had this next catheterization, this doctor came running out after doing the catheterization. Basically in the waiting room there just shouting. His left pulmonary, pulmonary artery is perfectly whole, normal, and full size. Is what he said. It's full. Full size. Amen. Now we can do what we need to do. So, you know, we thank God for what man can do. And we thank God for the help that they provided. But it's also true. There's going to be fights along the way. This life is not a cakewalk. 
There's going to be fights along the way, but we've got to understand our fighting is with our words. So whether the devil's coming against us to say something that God, against what God said, we can't agree with that. We've got to stand against that and cast down the thoughts and imaginations. If the world, the influence of the world, tries to influence us, the lust of the eyes, flesh and pride of life come against us, we've got to combat that with the words that we speak. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Or whether it's the flesh itself, when it wants that third piece of cake. We've got to stand against it with words, right? Amen. Let's all stand together before the Lord.